Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow The Lines on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow my esteemed co-host, co-worker, MLB baseball betting savant. He is Mo Noara on Twitter with two W's. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications Whenever the lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including the NFL, just like this one, as we have two main NFL podcasts here on the lines, YouTube channel and Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast, it's beat the closing number and the Megapod with Steven, Matt and Adam beat the closing number in 2023, 13 and seven. We went two and two in week five, the Jags, Mo's. First pick, Jags plus five, plus five and a half. Texans, Falcons under. That was my first bet. Both of those cashed. And then the Rams and the Broncos died a tragic death against the spread. Mo, how you feeling? Looking ahead to week six. I mean, this was my best week, I think. I don't know, maybe week three. Week five and week three. I'm I'm an odd-numbered weeks guy so far this year. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, very strong week. And, uh slamming these second half unders is going well for me. So maybe I'll keep doing that. Be sure to check out all of our bets, including some live plays like Mo just mentioned in the lines discord channel. The link is over at the lines.com. All three picks were not touts. We promise. So kicking off, beat the closing number here. We're going to discuss and briefly take a look at some of the most significant changes, alterations, to the look at line, now looking at some of the opening or roughly opening odds for week six. And one of those lines, one of those spreads, actually serves as a good example to take a step back. We're not going to do too much looking back at week five, at least deep dive into a particular game, but going to do a brief look back here to start. So the Ravens and the Titans... One of the games that kicks off in week six, an international game, so the first of many on Sunday. It's down from Ravens minus five on the look ahead line, now sitting at Ravens minus three and a half, and some juice threes available as well. And Baltimore fell at Pittsburgh as four and a half point road favorites, despite outgaining the Steelers by 0.6 yards per play, 5.0 to 4.4. Seven drops, including at least three for touchdowns. The third most total drops by any team, any NFL team, since 2013. And again, three of those, maybe four, potentially going for touchdowns. Maybe Aguilar scores on the throw down the sidelines. But either way, those who are criticizing Todd Munkin, get your head out of your butt ass either way. I think I'm now over my swear total here on the podcast this season. I set that at three and a half going in. <laughs> Lamar did have those two costly turnovers down the stretch and a block punt certainly didn't help. But Pittsburgh outplayed expectations in a divisional game, which isn't crazy. Mo, you bet Pittsburgh. So give your perspective on it because yes, the Ravens were better on paper, but it happens in a divisional game and variance is a natural part of sports betting. Yeah. And especially I think when you look at matchups like Ravens Steelers, especially matchups where not a lot of offense is expected, 
variance is going to play a big role in those spots. I think uh, one one or two big plays can really swing it, like that safety. You know, that was obviously big. Um, I, I think a few things I would say. Yeah, were the Ravens the better team? Yeah, I think so. But uh, also, I think Pittsburgh was a good bet. I mean, how is why are we giving Munkin credit? I, I don't or this passing off. Dropping passes is predictive when you have bad receivers. This is like the Ravens don't have a good receiving core. Like let's just call it what it is. And uh, I would call Zay Flowers a bad receiver. Yeah, he's he good. Two- Everyone else is bad. Rashad Bateman okay. is a massive disappointment. I actually thought he was halfway decent, but just always injured. He's been rough this year. That drop he had in the end zone was pathetic. He had some really bad ones. Uh, and, I mean, you know, I mean, Odell Beckham was once a great player. I I was a big fan of Odell Beckham. I mean, multiple knee surgeries. You just can't expect him to be anything close to what he was before at this point. And uh, I think this is just what the Ravens are. And this is why, like... Yeah, I mean, were the Ravens better? Yeah. Should they have been laying four and a half on the road against a defense like the Steelers? I don't think so. Um, I don't think this team is as good as people thought. Um, I think that was obvious when you start to dig into their schedule. They've sneakily played one of the softest schedules in the NFL. Just how you were talking about the Bengals last year facing multiple backup quarterbacks. And yeah, I mean, that's basically what's what's the Ravens' situation now and also got to face cj stroud in his nfl debut i mean that would be a much different game if it was played tomorrow so um you know i just think the ravens were over overrated uh i still think they're a good team but i don't think they're close to being one of the best teams in the nfl i agree with some of those points i I know you have a bone to pick or two with mark andrews but he dropped a touchdown. He's not a bad receiver. You may not think he's as good as the media makes him out to be, but he's still not a bad receiver, and he catches that nine times out of ten, probably. Well, he's a good a t- player when he plays, but... Right, but he was healthy, and he dropped a gimme touchdown. Zay Flowers, who isn't bad, as, as you said, and is has a very high ceiling in this league for years to come. Dropped a couple easy passes. If you don't want to call Aguilar good, or if you want to call him bad, I get that. Bateman, a bad receiver, catches that ball nine times out of ten in the end zone. Now, going back to the original point of variance happens in divisional games, that I'm not going to disagree with you on. That's what I was going into it with. And yeah, the Ravens were probably overvalued from a spread standpoint. They beat a Browns team that didn't have a quarterback in week four. So the market was overvaluing Baltimore going into this game. And yes, they were better on paper, but I know there was one host, Matt Brown on our channel that called out the trends gimmick going on, headed into Raven Steelers, a lot of trendsy analysts bringing this up that going into the game, Tomlin and Harbaugh teams. So Ravens and Steelers teams, obviously going head to head. In their 10 years, respective 10 years, the underdog going into the game was 22-5-3 against the number. And he was essentially saying that, and I'm not calling him out when I say this, that you can't just bet the dog based off of that trend. Steelers cover doesn't mean that the Steelers should have won the game. But to your point, in divisional games, variance is much more likely to happen. I don't think that's... 
you going solely off a trend by any means. That's divisional games are more likely to be closer than the average AFC NFC matchup, for instance, just based off of familiarity. Yeah, absolutely. I hate laying points in divisional matchups. Absolutely hate it. I, I just, it's trained me over the years. Like, you just lose so many bets that you think are good bets on favorites that it's, it's just not something you should be doing unless you feel very, very good about the spot. I'm with you. And again, Mo and I think differently than the Megapod, which is what's fun about sports betting in general. We all have different opinions. Not to say that we can all get along nicely. I'm not trying to go with that argument. We all get participation trophies, but obviously we're putting our money where our mouth is. Needless to say, though, variance is a part of sports betting, which I think is the key focal point that Mo and I are trying to get across. And if you want to just go with what's on paper, I think you're going to, you may have a, a game like that where you could point to all the drops and whatnot. And that's coming from somebody that, again, has Ravens futures very high on the Ravens going into the season. And I came with the argument that the Ravens were probably overvalued in that game. So just food for thought there on Ravens Steelers. That's really the only big breakdown we're going to do on a week five matchup. So quickly going through some of the other key line movement here ahead of week six. Jags were minus four and a half on the look ahead line against Indianapolis coming off back to back. London wins, including a win against Buffalo. As we mentioned, Mo cash in on Jags plus five, plus five and a half. It reopened Jags minus five and a half against the Colts back down to four and a half four though. So not really a surprise, maybe a little bit just because Jacksonville beat arguably what was considered to be one of, if not the best team in football heading into week six, just from a market perspective. So I, I kind of was surprised, but Indianapolis taking down Tennessee and even without Anthony Richardson having a competent-ish backup in Gardner Minshew. Maybe a little bit of jet lag for Jacksonville riding off a high. So short answer here. Are you shocked by the market movement here for Jags Colts? No, uh, it's going to be a tough spot, obviously, like you said, for the Jags. And I, I mean, the Colts played a strong game against the Titans. I, I thought they outplayed them. So, yeah, I'm with you. Dolphins minus 10 and a half on the look ahead against Carolina. It reopened 13, now up to 14. And Miami probably got a little unlucky against the Giants with the pick six in the end zone. So take that for what it's worth. But either way, around the key number of 14, if you want to call it that, two touchdowns spread against the lowly Carolina Panthers who got ripped apart figuratively and literally by the Detroit Lions. Minnesota down from four on the look ahead to three, the key number three at Chicago. Justin Jefferson potentially out with the Hamstring injury, probably one of, if not the skill position player outside of Travis Kelsey, where you're going to see a big market discrepancy from with him being in versus him being out in terms of skill position players across the league. Atlanta out from one and a half to two and a half after their comeback win over the Texans. They're taking on the commanders. In week six, who had a dud and then some against the Bears on Thursday night football. Pretty That's gross putting game. It mildly. <laughs> yeah. Sam Howell probably cost Washington in the pocket just as much as 
Russell Wilson did in or outside of the pocket against the Jets. We'll talk about Denver here in a second. And then Detroit out from three to three and a half after, like I mentioned, the blowout win over Carolina at home. They take on the Bucks. So another game around the key number of a field goal, Tampa Bay coming off the bye week. But first game we're going to discuss in depth here in terms of week six, Kansas City, 10 and a half point home favorites against the Denver Broncos on Thursday night football, total of 50. Just on the surface, Kansas City closed three and a half point road favorites at Minnesota. Mo, we're not going to get into an argument over what happened down the stretch, although you stopped responding on Twitter. So I assume that that meant that you at least agree that Sneed should have been called for a penalty. Whether you thought the game would have been affected by that call or not, he took his helmet off. That was a a 15-yard penalty should have been called a 15-yard penalty down the stretch. It would have pinned Kansas City back on their final offensive possession. Denver failed to cover against the Jets. They lost outright as two, two-and-a-half-point home favorites. So that was one of my two losing bets in week five. What do you make of Kansas City, Denver? And I'll let you respond to my, briefly, to my... Uh, Chiefs Vikings. I just think the Chiefs soundly outplayed the Vikings, no matter what any crybabies on Twitter want to say. So, (laughs) sorry for your guys' bets, but the Chiefs were the better team and they probably deserve to cover too. I had some Chiefs, very happy with my bet. And yeah, they won because they were better and they made Justin Jefferson into WR45 or whatever he was with 28 yards or whatever that that ridiculous line he had uh this game i, I kind of like denver I, I over 10 i kind of thought the number should be a hair south of time a little bit sad i was supposed to be at this game all my buddies are going to be there but have another trip i'm going to take so i will be watching it from afar i don't know i don't know going? how the i'm going to go play poker again so <laughs> yeah uh a trip <laughs> aka Hey, high stake poker. I'll give you credit. It's this one. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. One thing I think I just, we all just have to know is that the Chiefs are going to score. They're going to score a lot. I think this is a weird one because, like, usually they say underdogs are correlated with unders, like, especially big underdogs like this. But I think it's the other way in this game. I think if the Chiefs win and cover, it's going to be like 41 to 3 or something or 31 to 10. But, like, if the Broncos cover, I actually think it's correlated with the over because I think Chiefs are scoring no matter what. So Broncos need to score some points to cover this game. I think they can, though. I mean, their offense has been lively at times. Russ got the better of the Chiefs' defense in both matchups last year. Um, So I kind of think... Ten and a half, they they can cover that. I think they're live to cover that. I don't think they're live to win this game, probably. Um, I just do think they have probably enough offense to cover this number. But yeah, this defense, man, I mean, I was a big fan of Brees Hall. I put him into my DK lineups this week. I I put him in all my season-long lineups, was very, very happy to put Brees Hall in there, and he absolutely destroyed this Denver defense. These guys stink. I mean... This is How about maybe Sean Payton, man, calling out Nathaniel Hackett in the offseason. What if Payton's just washed? Like, what if this is just a bad coach and a bad quarterback coming into a tough place to play on a Thursday night? I don't know. That makes me leery. 
obviously. But if I had to bet this game, I would take the Broncos. I could see this one closing 10. I have a hard time seeing this one getting any higher, though. Especially, we haven't even talked about if Travis Kelsey's banged up. I mean, dude, the Chiefs should win this game so certainly. I would honestly consider just sitting him on the bench this week if I was Andy Reid and the the Chiefs. Denver can't get a stop on Patrick Mahomes. Mini buy for Kansas City playing on Thursday night. Keep that in mind. And the Chargers. Some betters have differing opinions on situational spots. But you play Denver in two out of three weeks here with the mini buy because this one's on Thursday night football. And then you have a much bigger game, like I mentioned, with the Chargers coming up. So, yeah, I think they will rest, Kelsey. And adrenaline or maybe the ankle wasn't as bad as they initially thought. And I would probably say a combination of the two. And then why wouldn't you rest him in this game? And we saw how that did affect Kansas City's offense in week one against the Lions. Granted, a better Lions team overall. But still, a Lions secondary that was vulnerable. And this is a different skill position group for Kansas City at the receiver position, to put it lightly, than they've had in years past, with the exception of Kelsey. So just, I would say... I would be a little wary of laying the points here with Kansas City. And just some other notes here on the Denver Broncos. Man, it's really crazy to look at the offensive numbers on, or the numbers on both sides of the ball for Denver. So negative 19 net yards on the first 16 plays of the second half against the Jets yesterday, as we're recording this here on Monday. I think every time I looked at the game cast, it was third and fourteen. I mean, yeah, that pretty much says it lines up with your memory and their run defense, as you mentioned, was shredded and Brees Hall especially took advantage on that 70 plus yard touchdown gallop. No pun intended there with the Broncos, of course. And then Denver has the worst defense ever measured by DVOA through the first five games of a season. And to your point and kind of playing devil's advocate to mind just a moment ago, with a below-average Chiefs receiving core outside of Kelsey. This is a defense that's performed this poorly after facing Jimmy Garoppolo, Sam Howell, and Zach Wilson in three of their first five games. So, yikes. Denver also Fields looked like Peyton Manning against these guys. Yeah, yeah, that's the other quarterback, too. Good point. Losing Navarro to the Panthers... Their former defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph, taking over another negative against Denver on that side of the ball. But I will say Denver is starting to get a little healthier. I know their gap integrity was something that Peyton mentioned. I don't know if that's going to get fixed or not heading into this game. And Pacheco could be another potential DFS play to target. But they did get Justin Simmons back at safety. I thought their secondary looked a lot better but it was against Zach Wilson. So Simmons back, which was a big boost to that back seven, potentially Kawan Williams back at nickel and Baron Browning at linebacker. That doesn't fix what happened up front, but Denver's defense could be getting healthier heading into this divisional matchup. Like you mentioned, Russ did play better and did play well against the Chiefs last year. Broncos points per drive in the first half, as I mentioned, with that poor second half performance. Points per drive first half, 3.05. 
points per drive, eighth in the NFL. That same statistic in the second half this year, 1.38, good for the fourth fewest points per drive. So will the Chiefs cover a huge number with or without Travis Kelsey? And you would expect Kelsey to be limited if he does play even, especially if this game does get out of hand, even around double digits where the Broncos may have a shot to backdoor this. And by the way, uh, something you brought up a lot when you talk about Kansas City laying above three, three and a half. The Chiefs are 17 and 27 against the spread as favorites over a field goal since 2020. And you've hit this ad nauseum. So if I, why is Kansas City so poor, if you want to call it that, at covering big numbers? Mahomes milks the clock down the stretch. He is elite at that. Maybe not elite if you lay the number with Kansas City, but elite if you have the dog. And then that... Defense in years past has been more susceptible, more vulnerable to backdoor covers. It's much better this year overall, but that run defense has been a little concerning. And the Broncos do have a pretty good run block rate so far, run block win rate specifically, and they could be getting Javante Williams back this week. So numbers back and forth. If you if you do think Denver and these net negatives, especially in the second half and their overall defensive performance does continue, then either you stay away or you lay it with Kansas City. Or if you think maybe their red zone efficiency improves, I think just outside of the middle of the pack in that in that uh, category. And if they somehow get better in the second half, maybe just based off of familiarity and the point that you brought up with Russ and his above average play against Kansas City last year, divisional game big number above the key number of 10, then maybe Denver covers. I'm leading Broncos for sure. I might end up playing this, but any closing thoughts before we move on? I would just say, like I said, uh, if you play Broncos, I like it parlayed with the over. Um, I don't think that Denver is going to be able to stop Kansas City. So I think they need to score with them to, uh, to cover this number. You did? By the way, to give you credit for a correlated parlay back in week two, Vikings and the over. So that's another underdog that you mentioned in week two against the Eagles. And that was a backdoor, but this could very well be a backdoor with Broncos Chiefs. So good points there. On to Niners and Browns. Look ahead line for this game. And by the way, quick note, look ahead line for Broncos Chiefs was 10 and a half. So maybe you would have thought that the line would have moved off of that. But I think Kelsey, that's also something to bring up. If Kelsey is active and reports do trend in a positive direction, whether he's on a limited snap count or not. That's the only way I could see that number maybe rising from 10 and a half onto another, another number that spiked up Niners and Browns. So this one unsurprisingly was three on the look at line now at four and a half, five and San Francisco covered the three and a half point spread against the Cowboys on Sunday night football, outgaining Dallas by 2.3 yards per play. Just utter domination. We both were on the wrong end of that result, to say the least. Best EPA per dropback averages in weeks one through five since 2010. This per true media. Peyton Manning in 2013. Aaron Rodgers in 2020. Jared Goff in 2018. And you may... Be asking how is Jared Goff on that list? I think that was their Super Bowl year, and it, yeah, it was, it was Sean for McCann. sure. Yeah, that was NFC Championship year for the Rams, tied with Rodgers, 
tied for third with Rodgers, going back to his, I think his other MVP year in 2011. And then fifth on the list is Brock Purdy through five weeks. Before he could, eh, I'll wait, because I am curious on your perspective on Purdy. But either way, he's amongst historic quarterbacks the first five weeks of the season. He also has the most total EPA among all quarterbacks this season. But he'll be up against a Browns defense that has allowed the fewest EPA per play across the NFL, along with the lowest success rate. And Deshaun Watson, couple that with the Browns quarterback not practicing on Monday, dealing with that shoulder injury that kept him out in week four. I'd be curious, not that I want to speculate on injuries. Neither of us are doctors and neither of us pretend to be, but it could be a torn rotator cuff. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm wondering if the Browns are keeping that under wraps, but initial thoughts on the Niners and Purdy's play and whether we see potential variants, especially with the weather, you, we could get bad weather and maybe finally Purdy throws a pick on a turnover worthy throw. Didn't happen against the Cowboys, but there have been at least a few in his first four games. Yeah, I guess for one thing I would say, I'd be surprised if there was anything seriously wrong with Deshaun. I mean, I don't think the organization is going to throw the guy that they have locked up under contract under the bus after they, because they pretty much, they said he was medically cleared, but I mean, I get it. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say a guy should have played just because he was medically cleared. If you don't feel right, you shouldn't play. I mean, especially, you know, you could actively be hurting your team in that sense, although in that specific would have been hard to be worse than DTR, I guess. But as far as this game goes, I did think Niners minus three was honestly a little bit too short in the look ahead markets. So this seems like a more appropriate number to me. I think the move makes sense. Um, I'm just curious, like, what you and what in general anyone what would make people what number would have to be out there for people to start fading san francisco i mean they're just absolutely crushing people every week and playing the softest schedule ever whatever but obviously it wasn't just that after they destroyed dallas um i feel like they would have to be like 7.5 before your average like nfl better would start to be betting the browns in the spot so any sort of move on this game i would get i guess is going to be sharp money if anything ever moves towards the browns but i feel like the browns just are basically two weeks to prepare for this one maybe more i mean they just pretty much punted the last game sending dtr out there to the wolves against the ravens uh yeah if brock Purdy can steamroll this defense i mean that's obviously a statement I think this is a really big test for the Browns' run defense, honestly, though. I was so impressed with... I cannot believe how good the 49ers' offensive line is. I really am just blown away. I mean, they have one good player, and they're just out there just wrecking people. Moving mountains against Dallas. It was four yards to contact, like, every handoff. I mean, now you face a Browns defense that got completely flattened by opposing running games last season, but so far this year... First in success rate, third in EPA per play allowed. On the other hand, you look at their schedule, dude. They haven't faced any tough running offenses like... Besides the Ravens. Maybe Lamar, but it's like, I don't know. Lamar, they have bad running backs, though, you know? It's like... And the offensive line... Yeah, but it's still a really good rushing scheme. I still think this is just like a middling rushing attack with these running backs and injured offensive linemen. It's not one that really scares you, I, I don't think, especially the way they're playing right now. And then Derrick Henry, you know, obviously a very good running back, but a bad offensive line there. So, and you know, a bad quarterback. 
No. Per the numbers this year, Ryan Tannehill has taken a big step back. I know he looked good against Indianapolis yesterday, he's, but he's been fine. He had some good games and some bad games and doesn't have a lot of help, obviously. But yeah, I think uh, this is a spot where I'm very curious to see if this Browns run defense is for real. I mean, if they can put a stop to what the 49ers are doing week after week, That'll be that'll be big, but then they'll probably cover because I just it's hard to see Brock Purdy just shredding this defense, you know. I mean, especially if they're kind of able to key in a little more on obvious passing situations. I mean, the 49ers are just thriving in positive script, you know. So I want to see this offense in a spot where they're challenged. I guess I'm gonna go back. Not that I want to stay on the Tennessee Titans, but Ryan Tannehill, man. 31st among qualified quarterbacks in dropback success rate, 23rd in adjusted EPA per play, and 23rd in completion percentage over expected. Bad. They faced an incredibly tough stretch of defenses. The Bengals? And I mean, they they played well that game, but I, I don't know if I'd credit Tannehill. He has, they have the worst offensive line in the NFL. I mean, there's not okay. a really a whole lot going on there. All right, I I think I disagree a little bit. And as I alluded to earlier, Mo and I differ on our opinions and takeaways from the Ravens and Steelers game because I may have a bet on Baltimore. But going back to this one in terms of week six, if Watson plays, I think you see Brown's money come in. And again, again, another point that I disagree on, I, I mean, that Ravens zone scheme is one of the better rushing schemes in the NFL. Browns run the same scheme, but then you also, another devil's advocate to the Browns potential play would be no Nick Chubb, which is obvious, but you don't have as talented a back against a pretty good defense overall. It wasn't just the the Niners yesterday. It was the Niners offense, I should say. It was their defense against Dak Prescott. Deshaun Watson has been pretty erratic this year, too. And when you don't have an elite decision maker in your backfield, whether you want to call a running back that or not, I think Nick Chubb is worth more at his position than most running backs are, no matter how much you want to equate to what a running back is worth against the number when you go from Chubb to Jerome Ford. And yes, we saw Chubb not matter nearly as much against the Titans, but the Browns were able to throw against a terrible Tennessee secondary. Now, can they throw? Can Watson with a banged up shoulder, whether he goes or not, throw against a, a much better Niner secondary and a much better defense overall? I still think the market fades San Francisco if Deshaun Watson plays, but and I would lean that way as well, just with this hovering over the key number of three and all the way up to five at some spots. I don't know if I'll bet it, but that's at least where if I was forced to play the game, I would back Cleveland, I think. I guess where where do you think this number would go if DTR were to start? Like, I feel like this should be like seven, seven and a half at least, especially after the Ravens game. I don't think that's, and maybe if it hits seven, then we see Brown's money come in and it closes six and a half. But another great point that you brought up on the onset of this game was Jim Schwartz having prep time against this Niners offense in bad, in bad weather, 
most likely, even with Brown's rushing defense maybe being a little overvalued in the market in general, despite having a pretty stout defensive front led by a defensive player of the year candidate, Miles Garrett. That is something to take into account. We'll see how healthy Watson is. Maybe him not practicing on Monday was just an indication of them wanting to get him more rest. But those are our initial thoughts on Browns and 49ers. So quickly looking at these next two games, Mo, before we wrap. Bengals on the look ahead. Three-point favorites against the Seahawks at home. It's down to two and a half pretty much across the board. But pretty much all juiced two and a halves in the Bengals direction. Total of 46. Cincinnati outgained by the Cardinals in yards per play, despite winning by two scores in week five, but a little misleading considering how well that Bengals passing attack fared and Joe Burrow and looked healthy on the calf. A, he said that was the healthiest he was, but that also may have been just facing a very, very bad Cardinal secondary and getting back on track with Jamar Chase as a result. Three touchdown passes between the two of them. Seattle coming off the bye week, they rank number 14 in EPA per play allowed. That defense has been carrying them so far, but past defense has been a little more susceptible just when you dissect what that league average-ish, maybe slightly above average defense appears to be on paper against opposing passing attacks, ranking 27th in opponents' EPA per drop back, and they have faced the Rams, Lions, Panthers, and Giants so far. So really only Detroit taking on a scary offense, depending on what you think of the Rams. But how are you gauging Bengals and Seahawks off the top, Mo? Yeah, so this one uh, actually was sitting mostly two and a half when I wrote the look ahead lines last week. Opened minus three, I think. It hit was it hit minus three early this morning for sure. So when I was first looking at the numbers this morning, it was mostly threes. I think maybe only one or two, two and a halfs were on the board. Somebody smashed that plus three, and those are gone now. So I think uh, rightfully so, to be honest. Uh, Joe Burrow looked better. Um, he actually hit some deeper passes, which I think is really important to look at when you're just trying to scout out how he's able to play because he was completely unable to kind of push off and throw deep in these past games. I still thought he still, he still, he still took a couple of bizarre sacks where I thought like he was fighting his body a little bit and not just like able to move as much as he normally is. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really interesting matchup for sure. Uh, in the Bengals wide receiving core without T Higgins, potentially, uh, that's definitely something to watch here because I actually the, the Seahawks kind of have the horses to run with Jamar Chase here. Like, they have the athletes in the secondary. Devin Witherspoon um, has been looking pretty good. Obviously, he had that big pick. Uh, and then, obviously, Tariq I don't know if Woolen. Joe Burrow is going to make that throw like Daniel Jones did on the goal line. But, yeah. Obviously, like, Tariq Woolen, another amazing athlete. Like, they have some guys who can match up with Diggs. Um or I mean Chase and obviously have Quandre Diggs as well at safety, I think is is nice to have a little in the back end as well. I still thought the Bengals had a kind of concerning game. I mean, outgained by the Cardinals. They also got a defensive touchdown in that game. And just very one-dimensional offense, like pretty much Jamar Chase or nothing. I mean, Joe Mixon didn't do anything, and neither did really anybody else. Something Trenton Irwin. 
was I guess catching a few passes. I mean, that's not going to cut it when you start facing some better competition. So I would look for maybe, uh, if you can get a Seahawks plus three, I think it's good. Um, especially if Higgins is out, watch for the Seattle offensive line injuries though. I, I would like it if Charles Cross came back. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell if he was close to coming back for the last game or not. And then obviously they got the buy. So I'm guessing it's better than 50, 50. He's back, but still multiple players injured there. So something to, to monitor there for sure. Especially do we saw Trey Hendrickson completely took over basically that game against uh, the Rams on Monday night football. So when you have a quarterback, like Geno Smith, who's only, I would say, moderately mobile. Like, he's kind of in the same, I would say, category as Matt Stafford, where they can move a bit, but if they have to start moving a lot, you're pretty concerned. <laughs> so um, it's something to watch for, for sure. I would like to get a somewhat clean injury report and a plus three. Maybe that's too much to ask for here. I think it is too much to ask for especially if the Seahawks are healthier on their offensive line, as you mentioned. And why were the Bengals outgained by the Cardinals in yards per play? Arizona ran the ball so well when that game was in a neutral state-ish. So if Seattle gets crossed back, if they get Damian Lewis back and or Phil Haynes up front, probably going to have success on the ground just based off of what we saw in Arizona. Potential look to the over maybe for me. If Seattle is healthy on the offensive line, if Noah Wouzier in that Bengals secondary against a very exploitable Cincinnati back seven, especially after they lost those safeties in the offseason, as I've touched on pretty much every podcast this year, in Von Bell and Jesse Bates for Atlanta, who, as you have noted, too, is playing really well at, at the safety spot for the Falcons. Played a big role in that win over the Texans, too, at least just in terms of keeping... CJ Stroud and the Houston passing attack and Shaq. So that would be kind of my luck. Yeah. I mean, high ish total 46, but I would say could stand to potentially be a point or two higher. So I could see that for sure. Last game. We're going to touch on bills out from minus 13 on the look at to 14. So whether you want to call that a key number or not, it's two touchdowns, 14 point spread against the Giants on Sunday Night Football. And just for context, the line was seven on the look-ahead before the season. So that goes to show you not only what the market thinks of the Giants, but what they rightfully deserve. And uh, Buffalo was banged up pretty much everywhere defensively and is still. Matt Milano suffered that fractured leg against the Jags. Bob Miller was back in London, but on a limited snap count, I think only saw 20 snaps and was cut off after that third quarter, right around that mark, I believe. Greg Russo didn't play. Christian Benford didn't play. And Tredavious White is out for the year for the Bills with that torn ACL. Can the Giants give Daniel Jones any time if Andrew Thomas doesn't go? I don't know. I don't know if I want to bet the Giants at this number, especially with a pissed off Bills offense and and what we saw, too, in an explosive Dolphins passing attack due to the Giants' secondary yesterday, and they left points on the board, too. So I don't want to touch this game, Mo. What about you? I'm cautiously interested in the Giants. Um, this is a game where over 14, I'm, I'm cautiously interested. I just think the Bills... 
are just an absolute mash unit at this point on defense. It's crazy. I mean, Matt Milano, I think he's going to be out for the year. He's probably their best player. Um, and yeah, secondary was already ravaged. Christian Benford, like you said, and he was already a backup. He got hurt. Even like Teron Johnson, who has been a standout nickel for them for multiple seasons. I don't know if he's going to like miss the game or anything, but he was in and out multiple injuries in that Jags game. I don't know if there was something wrong with the turf there or what was going on, but three quarters of their starting defensive line are out now. I mean, this is crazy. They have like sub five healthy starters left on defense. It's pretty wild. That being said, are the Giants the team to take advantage of that? This is one of the most punchless offenses in the NFL, but they're also catching the Bills in a tough spot coming back from London, obviously. They're the stinkiest of the stinky teams to back, but I think if Daniel Jones can go, I might have to take 14 and a half. I mean, it just if the other team can score 20 points, it's like really hard to cover a number like this, right? And against what's well, left of the you, Bills' defense, it's possible the Giants could score 20 points. Couldn't you have said that yesterday, too, with the Giants against the Dolphins? And one of their scores came off of a pick six in the end zone. I'm not saying you're wrong, but just the general notion that a team could score 20 points and then cover the 14 didn't happen against a similarly explosive Miami offense. Yeah. It's just, you know, the fact that that team was healthy. This team isn't that team was not coming back from overseas. This team is, but yeah, like you said, I would keep an eye on these giants O-line injuries again, same situation as before multiple starters um, out. It, well, potentially out here and but I just don't know what's left of this Bills defense man I would be so excited to fade the Bills this week if they were facing anybody with a pulse and it has to be the Giants unfortunately but uh huge number in prime time I don't know man I think it's a little bit too big but it is really scary to fade this or to bet this Giants team but I don't know if the number can't possibly get any higher so this has to be like pretty much the peak i would think i mean there's no way this gets to like 17 so uh, this has to be a good number i think okay so just to wrap i'm not getting there but i do i do hear you if new york can put up points against a banged up bills defense and so many key injuries on that side of the ball as we both hit on what are you looking at here mo you have seahawks at three, not touching it two and a half yet. Giants at 14 and Broncos of, of those three, which ones are you most likely and or are planning to bet before the Thursday edition to beat the closing number? Uh, I would say probably I'll probably have a little bron bit of Broncos parlayed with the over just because I think that's a nice correlated play. Uh, other ones, I'm going to be keeping an eye on injury reports and, and see what I can find out this week. I think I'll have a bet on the Broncos as well. Looking at the Ravens as I've sprinkled in here in a couple different spots on the podcast, but Broncos ton and a half looks good to me. I don't think it's going to get much better. Maybe it ticks up to 11 and a half if Kelsey does play, but with two point conversions, we are seeing maybe that 11 does make a difference. And we're both screaming at the television when the Broncos lose by 11 points. But I do like Denver in a divisional game. And plenty of reasons why to back that up as I touched on when we broke down that game. 
On this edition of Beat the Closing Number for Mo Noir, you can follow him on Twitter at Mo Noara, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on the lines, Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast, and on YouTube, you can give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including all of our NFL bets. If you're planning on betting Broncos Chiefs, first-time users with BetMGM Sportsbook can get a bonus code and use that bonus code, the lines, to get up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. That's promo code, the lines, all one word. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. Thanks for watching and listening to another edition of Beat the Closing Number. So long, everybody. 